Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm delighted to introduce to you Chris Mann, who I've known for a little while now, who works quite close to me in Birmingham. And he is a consultant gynaecologist, but he has a particular interest in endometriosis. And I think he's probably one of the world leading experts in endometriosis. So I'm very honoured to have him here today. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So before we start talking about endometriosis, I want to talk a bit about you because you didn't have the really quite conventional career that some of us do that we go to school we decide I decided I wanted to read medicine when I was seven and I stuck to my guns and went straight from um, school to medical school but you didn't did you I did no let's listen to your interesting <laughs> background <laughs> no I um I did go to school <laughs> Good, but yeah. my main interest at school was really sports and PE and um, mm. after I left school I spent a year as a racing cyclist and then came back and really didn't know what I was going to do long term so I went off to university in Loughborough and read human biology and exercise physiology, which I think is now known as sports science. Mm. And for the first time ever, really studied very hard and did well and was very fortunate in that one of the professors in the department had originally been a medic. And in my final year, Professor Marshall asked me what I was going to do once I finished. I expected that really had no idea. And he suggested mm-hmm. considering medicine as a career. So I looked into it and uh, it appealed and I applied and I was fortunate to get in because in those days it's very unusual to have done a degree before doing mm. medicine. Most people, as you say, would go straight from school. So I was accepted into medical school. So I was four years behind most of my contemporaries, but I was fortunate to be in a medical school where they reserved about 10% of their places for people who'd done other things, mm. other jobs, other degrees. So I wasn't alone. There were 10 of us out of the 110. And that was at Leicester Medical School. So graduated from there and then moved to the West Midlands after house jobs, so in 89, and did a fairly conventional training programme in obstetrics and gynaecology. And then towards the end of my training, I went to work for Professor Newton, who since has passed away, but he was instrumental in sort of furthering my career because as part of my training in laparoscopic surgery, he sent me off to France And it was, well, the idea behind going there was originally to do some laparoscopic oncology training, which I did do. But when I was in Lyon and Lille, I came across these gynecologists who were excising endometriosis, which was something I'd never seen before. And in fact, Mm. this was 1999. In fact, there were only two other gynecologists in the whole of Great Britain that were excising endometriosis. And they'd had to go abroad like I did Mm. to see this and experience it in get trained in it. So I spent a number of months learning how to do excision of endometriosis and then came back and introduced that technique whilst I was a senior registrar into the West Midlands, well into the Midlands generally. And I was then able to go off and do further training with a surgeon called David Redwine, who was over in Oregon. And he's sort of the grandfather of excision of endometriosis. He really developed the laparoscopic excision of endometriosis technique which gradually spread and is now a worldwide recognised best practice for the surgical treatments of endometriosis. 
So I became a consultant. I was employed as a gynecological cancer surgeon. And at the same time as performing gynecological cancer surgery, I always ran a parallel clinical service in the, the surgical management of endometriosis. So that was initially at Birmingham Women's Hospital and then in Wolverhampton and then more latterly in Birmingham in the BMI Primary Hospital, mm. which is where the centre is now based. So really interesting. But let's just, for those people who are listening that don't know, what is endometriosis? So endometriosis is a condition where cells that are very similar, they're not exactly the same, but they're very similar to the cells that line the womb. They are found outside of the normal place. So normally those cells, endometrium-like cells, would be found lining the womb. Now, in endometriosis, they're found outside of the womb. We think, nobody knows for certain, but we think it's probably an embryological origin in the majority of patients. The cells are most commonly found in the pelvis, but they can be found elsewhere in the abdomen. They can be found on the diaphragm. They can be found in the lungs. So they can get all around. So do you think it's something that people are born with? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Probably in the majority of cases, it looks like the women Mm -hmm. are probably born with it. And then at some point... This is something we don't really have a clear idea. There seems to be a biological switch that makes those cells become active. They become mm-hmm. inflamed. They cause pain. They cause adhesions. That results in the two big areas of problems that our patients experience. And that is abdominal pelvic pain, sometimes chest pain, and also subfertility. They're the two mm-hmm. big areas that patients present to us with those classes of symptoms. Because it depends where they are, doesn't it? So because they're the lining of the womb-like cells, when the hormones change in the body and stimulate the lining of the womb, which happens naturally, these cells get stimulated as well, don't they? So people can find... in a cyclical fashion. Yeah, so they don't always have symptoms all the time, do they? They can come and go throughout the months. And that's another interesting thing about the whole world of endometriosis. Every single patient, and I've been doing this since 1999, Every single patient history is different. Mm. There's a degree of commonality in that patients often say, well, look, I was the girl who at school, when I stopped my periods, I couldn't do PE. I missed time off school. Mm. I was put on the pill very early. I was just told to get on with it. I was just told it was period pain, um, that this is normal for me. They were that sort of girl rather than somebody who would have periods, may occasionally need paracetamol Mm. and really didn't bat an eyelid. Mm. But when you then look deeper into every single patient, how they present is always subtly different. So it's quite a spectrum. So patients can present with a whole variety of symptoms, but it's not that they just present with those symptoms. They present with varying degree Mm. of severity of symptoms. So, for example, some patients will come to us from the subfertility clinics, will perform an MRI, will laparoscope them, and they'll have dreadful disease what we call stage four disease but when you talk to them they have absolutely Mm. no symptoms whatsoever other patients at the other end of the spectrum will have very minor lesions of endometriosis in the pelvis and they'll be requiring morphine because their pain is so bad so it's a really unusual Mm. condition in that the severity of the disease doesn't always reflect the severity of the symptoms or the impact that it has on a patient it's very interesting isn't it and it's very common actually isn't it how what's the percentage of women that they think have we think around 10 percent of women have one in 10 women but then there are not all of those will be diagnosed will they or they won't be diagnosed right from the start because it can be quite difficult to make the diagnosis as well can't it yeah so we published some work gosh 15 years or so ago 
where we looked at the onset of symptoms and the timing of diagnosis. And there's about seven and a half year, on average, mm. seven and a half year gap between symptoms developing initially and actually reaching a diagnosis. Gosh, that's a long time, isn't it? It's a very long time. And how how should women be diagnosed if they think they might have endometriosis? What's the sort of gold standard? Obviously, the gold standard really is to have a look inside, but that's not that yes. easy, is it, to have a laparoscopic procedure and have a surgeon no, look inside no. one in 10 women? <laughs> so what would you recommend? I think that the big thing that will help is patient awareness mm. and doctor awareness. Mm. So patient awareness of symptoms and the same for the doctors. As you said, the gold standard, and this is a Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommendation, the gold standard is a laparoscopy, ideally with a biopsy and histological confirmation. Mm. Now, you can't laparoscope every single woman who complains of a degree of period pain or other symptoms that may be endometriosis. So I think the important thing is if patients are aware of the symptoms that can present and that are due to endometriosis, it's just a matter of them being aware of them and if these symptoms are recurrent, or if they're, even if they're short, but they're having a significant impact on the quality of life, then they should seek medical mm. help. Absolutely. And I think that's so key, isn't it? Because I think I can say this because I'm a woman, but, you know, a lot of women just get on with things because, you know, we, yes. we just do. That's why we're made. So a lot of women have, yeah. you know, significantly impaired periods. And actually, it's only was in the first lockdown, I realised how bad my older two children's periods have been because, you yeah. know, I see them crippled. And you think, oh, actually, gosh, yeah. is it really that? And they're going to the toilet every two minutes to change their sanitary protection. I'm mm. thinking, goodness me. They say, well, it's not as bad as my mm. friends. I just, you know, and you think, actually, it shouldn't be that bad. You know, people are mm. missing jobs, missing school. If they are missing jobs or school, or missing work, I should say, and school as well because of their periods, it might not be endometriosis. Of course, it might not be, but they should be seeking medical help, shouldn't they, if they were? Definitely, definitely. You know, we've had patients who've, They've lost jobs, mm, they've lost marriages, yeah. they've lost their houses. I've seen people bankrupted mm. because of the impact that the disease has mm. had on their lives. So it's really important that people get the right help. And actually, I used to see quite a lot of people who I think had endometriosis in primary care, mm. and I would often give them some hormone treatment, as in often giving the continuous contraceptive pill without a break, yeah. and they would feel so much better. So actually yeah. those women, I hope I did the right thing, I didn't refer to someone like you because their quality mm. of life improved, their symptoms improved. And yeah. so I sort of thought whether you make a diagnosis or not, it wouldn't change the management because they were feeling better because the continuous contraceptive pill can help women contact with endometriosis. It can indeed, and it can be a way of making a provisional mm. diagnosis. So we see it very commonly used in teenagers mm. because Ideally, you don't want to be sending every patient who's got you know, the age of 16, 17, or even younger with painful periods in for a laparoscopy. Mm. That's just not going to happen for a whole variety of reasons, and it perhaps shouldn't happen. So using something like the combined pill can be a way of managing them. One of the things that we don't really know is if you're managing the disease with hormones, whether or not you can still get progression mm. of the disease. Now, if you listen to some researchers, particularly from France, they'll say, that the progression of the disease is inevitable. I don't think that's that case in every single patient. The problem is we don't know what proportion mm. of patients will continue to have progressive disease or disease progression, despite the fact that there's been some symptom control. Mm. 
So that makes it a bit of a conundrum. Mm. It's very difficult, isn't it? And as you've already said, it's not just about symptoms. It's the extension of the disease. And certainly when women want to try and conceive, it is, as you say, can be. Not not every woman with endometriosis has Mm. fertility problems, but some people do, don't they? And it all depends where it is and how it's affecting people. So, But it, it is important that awareness is there, like you say, for doctors as well. And you know, Absolutely. as you know, my, my husband's a urologist and he's diagnosed quite a lot of endometriosis because people, if they have deposits around their urethra, the tube that women wee mm. out of, then they have this excruciating pain and, and problems, but they might only be two days a month. And so the rest of the yeah. time they're fine. And so they're dismissed yeah. as being fine. And it's only when you take a very yeah. careful history, which he's done, and then examine them and found this lump of tissue that's not right. And it's... Yeah. It's obvious then, but it's not obvious if you don't ask the right questions. And that's why having a symptom diary actually can be really useful for patients, can't it? It can indeed. I think the important thing, I say four Ds and a P. So this is medical, Mm. so this is perhaps more for the GPs and consultant gynecologists, but dysmenorrhea, dyspareunia, dyscasia, dysuria, and then pelvic pain. Mm. So in layman's terms, if patients of the general female population are aware, you know, very, very problematic period pain. Deep pain within the pelvis with intercourse. Pain when you're opening your bowels, particularly around period time, but it can be at other times during the month. Pain in the bladder when you're passing urine. And then pelvic pain. So pelvic pain is just pain in the tummy below the level of the belly button. Usually cyclical, usually associated with periods, but not always. Now, if any of those five things are impacting on somebody's quality of life to the point where they're not responding to simple pain relief such as uh, ibuprofen or paracetamol and that they're starting to make them feel unwell throughout the month or particular times of the month or if they're losing time off work, if it's having an impact on their relationship, if just functioning on a day-to-day basis is becoming problematic, that's when they should seek help. And that's ideally when they would get referred into well, reviewed by a gynaecologist who's got mm. an interest in endometriosis. Although these days, obviously not in the NHS, but in the private sector, patients can self-direct because they are becoming much more their own advocates, which is, I think is a good thing. It is. It's very different, isn't it? Certainly when we both trained in medicine, it was more yeah. the doctor-led and now it's patient-led and it totally should be that way. Very and much so. I know you feel yeah. the same as me, that if women aren't getting the right help for whatever condition, whether it's endometriosis or the menopause or anything else, then they should go and see another healthcare professional. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. it's fine. None of us mind if someone sees me and then goes and sees someone else. I don't mind. I think it's really important. No, not at all. And certainly if a patient has extensive endometriosis and needs big surgery, um, because obviously some of the surgery involves bowel and bladder, it's really important mm. to find the right surgeon and ask the right questions and ask them how many yeah. cases they do in a year and um, what their yeah. experience is, even what their training is. And and it might be that sometimes people just say to me, I just didn't feel right with that doctor. And I'll say, well, go and see Chris, go and see someone else. Or yeah. It's just important, isn't it? Oh, and there's no rush, essential. there's no panic for the surgery as well, is there? So they really no, need to find the no. right person to do it. That's so important. I have patients who come to me and then they'll go on to somebody else and that's mm. absolutely fine. And if I think somebody's not certain, I will recommend other colleagues. Mm. These are people that I've got professional respect for. I don't know them particularly well, but I know that they do a good job. And if they come to me and I think this patient's maybe not quite happy or wants a second opinion, I can recommend somebody who 
I think is a good surgeon or a good practitioner, and they can go and get a second opinion. And it's much better to have that. You should never try and persuade somebody to have medical therapy or surgical intervention if they don't really want to. No, absolutely. No. So we can't do a podcast without mentioning the perimenopause and menopause, Chris. I'm sorry. We can't Mm. get out of that. (laughs) So I see and speak to, and as you know, I engage with a lot of people on social media who are never going to be my patients. But a lot of women will say, I can't have HRT because I have endometriosis. So they've been told they can't because there's this theory, obviously, that estrogen can stimulate any endometrial-like tissue elsewhere. But a lot of women find during the perimenopause when their hormones are going very high and low at different times, their endometriosis can be flared up and can be worse. So there's that. But then also some women have their womb removed as part of their surgical treatment for endometriosis. And often surgeons such as yourself know whether the endometriosis tissue has all been removed or not. But quite often surgeons will say, I'm not sure. So because there might be some in the lung or there might be some somewhere else that they haven't removed, but it's not causing symptoms for that person. Mm. But they still then become menopausal and maybe want HRT. So just to sort of unpick it really, in the first instance, what would you say about women who want to have HRT because of the health benefits it provides and the symptomatic improvement who have endometriosis? Are you happy that they have it? I'm very happy that they use it. I would stress that I would prefer them to have continuous HRT, yes. even if they've got a uterus. Mm. We think, we don't know for certain, but we think that the endometrial like tissue, the endometriosis seems to be more susceptible to, to the cyclicity mm. of estrogen and progesterone that you get in a normal menstrual cycle. So you can avoid that to a degree by giving continuous levels of HRT. And that seems to be better in terms of symptom relief. And it means that they then get the benefits of the estrogen and the progesterone. Yes. And so certainly, so when people are still having periods, we often start a cyclical type of HRT where people still have periods, but then they only have Mm. progesterone usually for two out of four weeks, which Mm. as Chris is quite rightly saying, we prefer them to have the progesterone all the time. So it damps everything down really. Um, But some people still get nuisance periods with that, especially when they're perimenopausal. And if they've still got their womb and having problems, sometimes we would recommend a marina coil, which has got a synthetic progesterone in, but it works locally. Some women with endometriosis find that that even helps some of their symptoms, I suppose, if their endometrial like tissue is near the womb but if it's distant then they might need a progesterone as well as a marina coil it all depends doesn't it absolutely so a proportion of patients with endometriosis will also have adenomyosis Mm. that's where you get endometriosis tissue in the muscle wall of the uterus that's adenomyosis Mm. and that can give symptoms very very similar to endometriosis and we think that the myrena can be helpful with the adenomyosis because the progesterone, this tiny amount of progesterone are released from the coil and they act locally. Mm. They act locally exactly where the adenomyosis is. So it can be useful for that. And to some degree, for endometriosis, it's very close to the uterus. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Oh, good, because that's what I do. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> adenomyosis can be picked up by an ultrasound scan, can't it? It can, even better by MRI mm. scan. And if it's done well, you can get a pickup rate of between 80 and 90% with an MRI. Yes. It's a bit less with an ultrasound, but obviously an ultrasound is quicker. And I was going to say less invasive, but it's not. Not really, but it, it's, it's easier it's, actually. It's isn't quicker, it? it's cheaper, yes. it's easier yes. to arrange. But again, you know, we can arrange an MRI usually within two mm. weeks. 
I mean, we certainly see quite a few women who, as you know, have bleeding with Mm. HRT, which can be very common. It doesn't always lead to disease, but if it carries on, we often arrange an ultrasound scan just because it's convenient and cheaper for the patient, obviously. And we've had had quite a few of some of these patients you've seen, as you know, who've had adenomyosis. And these are women in their late 40s, 50s, no history of endometriosis, no history of any problems Mm. at all. And the first thing they'll say is, well, has my HRT caused adenomyosis? which obviously it hasn't, yeah. but it sort of unmasked it really, hasn't it? Because they've had the yeah. bleeding. But then often when you do ask a bit more, they'll say, oh yeah, no, I've always had quite bad periods. Or I've, you know. I'm going to say, I'm not sure it's unmasked it in a no. lot of cases because when you drill down and ask yeah. them, they'll say, well, actually, yes. they'll go back, back to menarche yes. where they started and they were the girls that had painful periods, but they were just told yeah. to get on with it, that this is normal. Yeah, and I've had a couple that have actually been quite relieved to say, gosh, is that why I had a lifelong of having to take extra strong anodin, you know, or missing yeah. sport at school because of my periods? Gosh, at least now, now yeah. I know there was a reason. Yeah, and they weren't just being precious or fragile. There's actual pathology yes. there. and so some women who, like I said, have had a hysterectomy, so they've had their womb removed. Sometimes they have their ovaries mm. removed, sometimes not. And the surgeon mm. says, well, the endometriosis we think is gone, but we're not sure. So usually women who have a hysterectomy for other reasons, for example, if they've got fibroids, don't need to have progesterone. We just give them estrogen and testosterone if they need it. But women with some endometriosis, we often still recommend some progesterone mm-hmm. for that reason to suppress any endometrial-like tissue, mm-hmm. So, which is quite reasonable, isn't it, to do? I don't have a problem with that at all. What you would hope for in the first place, and nobody can guarantee this, but you'd hope that if somebody's having a hysterectomy because of endometriosis and adenomyosis, that, okay, the uterus is removed, but it's essential that any visible mm. areas of endometriosis are also removed. Now, you can't always see it, so you can't guarantee that in every single case. But if there is endometriosis that's visible, then it's really essential that that endometriosis is removed mm. at the same time. Otherwise, you're leaving disease yes. behind. It's interesting because some women will know. So if their disease is responsive to oestrogen and if their symptoms worsen. So I remember one lady actually came to see me from Kent and she was in her late 20s. She'd had quite extensive surgery for endometriosis and they were quite confident everything had been removed. And I said, well, we'll start you with some oestrogen. But if you get a flare up of your symptoms, the easy thing is fine. We can just add in some progesterone. And she initially felt great. I gave her some patches. She felt amazing. And then it was the summer she came back to see me and she said, oh, do you know, it's got so much worse, my endometriosis. And we, I've got this pain and it's very typical to the pain she used to have. And so then when I was talking to her a bit more, she also said, well, it was also a bit bad sometimes in the spring and the winter when I used to sit in the car and I had my heated seats on and the heat of the patch would absorb more oestrogen. And uh, she said, I get this. And, and then in the summer, she said, I don't know why, but it's got worse again. And um, it's interesting. So she was obviously very sensitive to small changes of oestrogen. Yeah. And so some women find when they have endometriosis, when they start on HRT, any sort of pain can flare up, but then it often settles yeah. down as their body almost gets used yes. to it, doesn't it? So, yeah. And if the patients can persist for six months, yes. then some of those are significant portion i don't know what no. percentage but a significant proportion anecdotally will settle down some patients they won't mm. and you have to accept that you know, every single patient responds differently to hormones but generally mm. they will settle down if they're able to just 
push through, go for six yeah, months. Yeah, so, and the beauty of the type of HRT that we usually prescribe is that we give the estrogen, the progesterone and the testosterone separately. So some women need yeah. a higher dose of progesterone to suppress their endometriosis. Yeah. And often we start with a very low dose of estrogen and we can gradually increase. So it can be sort of a bit more tailor-made. And this is HRT that's obviously available on the NHS as well. Yeah. And then the women can be in control, actually, because often women who have quite severe endometriosis have had such sadly dreadful times they're very used to controlling and knowing what triggers their disease and and their symptoms so it's really useful for them to be in control of their hrt as well i think very much so they've had years and years and years of this so for example on average my average patient is i'm the third consultant they've seen gosh and that's having been through gps as well it's almost akin to menopause, isn't it? I mean, I, I feel yeah. emotionally drained every day when I think about menopause or women, but certainly my clinic, the stories that I hear, like you say, of people giving up their jobs, remortgaging their house, getting nowhere, their partners leaving them. And yeah. endometriosis is very similar because it's just not diagnosed. Um, it's similar to, I always think, women who have a premature ovarian insufficiency. So as you know, one in 100 women under the age of 40 have an early menopause. Average length of time to diagnosis is between seven and 10 years. And certainly when I was at medical school, I was taught if a woman doesn't have periods, make sure she's not pregnant, Louise, and then we can reassure them. I mean, how wrong is that? So, you know, it's absolutely scandalous, but I feel ashamed because I have missed some of these women because I didn't know that POI was actually a thing. And like a lot of doctors, haven't been trained what endometriosis is or how to diagnose it. I was the same. Before I went to France, I used to see the general gynecology clinic as a registrar, junior registrar, and I'd see endometriosis in the notes of the patient who's about to come in. And my heart would sink because I think, gosh, I, I don't have to deal with this. No. You'd give them some medical therapy mm. and say, come back in six months, knowing full well that you'll have you moved on on your six-monthly mm. rotation and that you'd hopefully, you know, somebody else could deal with that problem. And it wasn't until I was lucky enough to be sent to France that it all made sense that we can actually treat this disease logically with good results yeah and transform women's lives can't you and that's what's so important i think to be a physician or a surgeon and be able to make such a huge difference is um absolutely it's very humbling very rewarding but really it's a privilege it's a complete privilege isn't it but it should never get to that stage and i think you know having this conversation today which is fantastic but some of the charities that are working on endometriosis and the women behind them are doing the most incredible job actually and I think it is about being strong and for those women who think they have endometriosis or know they have endometriosis really trying to be as strong as possible to get the right help and treatment. Yes I mean so this is the 22nd year I've been involved in managing endometriosis and one of the things that I've learned is that an individual doctor or surgeon putting their head above the parapet and trying to make changes into a big system like the NHS just does not work. The one thing that seems to make the biggest difference and it's just really gaining some speed and some momentum now is patient awareness groups who are then lobbying MPs and parliaments, patient pressure groups. Mm. I strongly believe that if the management of endometriosis in the UK is going to improve, then one of the major ways that that's going to have to happen is by women getting together in organised groups and pressuring the government, pressuring their local MPs mm. to effect change because it's very easy for the NHS or big organisations to ignore 
the voice of one or two doctors who are advocating, yes. look, we should be doing this, we should be doing that, we should be doing the other. It's very difficult to ignore big groups of women who are highly motivated. Yeah, totally. I think it is important because also women are very good at helping women as well, aren't they? And I think when people have had difficult experiences, then they learn from them as well and can help and guide. So hopefully yeah. things will only improve going forwards, which will make a big difference yeah. to 10% of women, which is so important. So it's huge. So it's been really great, Chris, and thank you ever so much for giving up your time to share your welcome. knowledge. And I hope this has been really helpful because if some of you listening obviously don't have endometriosis, you might know people that do, and I hope this will help women from all ages. So before we end, though, I can't let you go without asking for three take-home tips. So <laughs> I thought I would just ask you about three things, really, that women can do if they either think they have endometriosis or they know they have and they're perhaps not getting anywhere, especially if they're perimenopausal or menopausal. So if a patient suspects that they've got endometriosis, so that would be based on these sort of five areas of symptoms that I said broadly encapsulate most patients with endo, not all of the symptoms, but you know, the pelvic pain, the pain with intercourse, pain with opening your bowels, pain with periods, and then pain between periods. If those symptoms are not resolving with simple analgesia, such as paracetamol or ibuprofen, or if they're impacting you in such a way that they're affecting your quality of life, whether that's your ability to study, your ability to work, your ability to run your home if you're a full-time mum, your ability to parent, your ability to be a partner, if it's now impacting to such a degree that the impact is negative and it's becoming more and more of a problem, then please, please seek help. So the first way that to do this within the NHS framework is to see the GP. Now, if you're not getting anywhere with the GP, ask for a second opinion. That will usually be another partner or another GP within the practice. If you're still not getting anywhere, you can always just make an appointment to go and see somebody in the private sector if you're able to afford a consultation. That doesn't mean that you have to then have your whole health care management program in the private sector it just means that you'll get somebody who's dedicated got an interest in endometriosis they'll be able to do the appropriate investigations and all the way through they give you a management a recommended management plan that you can then either progress through in the private sector or you can go back into the nhs and you know those people like me we will write to your gp and say look this is the reason that i think this patient has endometriosis what i would recommend is a b c and d the GPs will listen to that. The vast majority of GPs will listen to that. Yeah. So it's awareness of the disease. It's seeking help, not giving up. That's mm. probably the third thing. Don't give up because for too long, too many women have been fobbed off. Mm. They've been told, well, it's just something you've got to put up with. It's just women's trouble. Go and have a baby. That'll cure it. Wait for the menopause. Mm. There's nothing to do. It's in your mind. Mm. I've heard all of those things mm. so many times. We had somebody earlier this week who was told, well, you have pain with sex, so don't have sex. Well, she was in her 20s. Mm. Patients don't have to put up with that anymore. No. So be aware of the symptoms. Seek help if it's having an impact on you. And if you're not getting anywhere, try again. Yeah. Don't give up. There are now more and more of us who want to help. Really, really good advice. And like you say, 
If you can't help directly, you can always signpost. And sometimes the support yeah. groups actually and the charities will be able to give you more advice as well. So yeah. it's so important. Mm. It shouldn't be like this, but it is. And it's very important. You know, women know their bodies. And if you're unsure and you think you might have endometriosis, then make sure you seek help. So thank you again, Chris. This has been brilliant to learn so much. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.